Welcome to the Breakfast with Champions podcast, where every day we bring you motivation, education, and inspiration to help you reach your full potential. You can check us out at bwcdaily.com. On this show, we feature celebrity interviews as well as experts and leaders in fields like business, marketing, sales, branding, and mindset. Our goal is to give you a seat at the table to listen in on conversations with some of the most amazing people around the world, people who are doing the things you know you can do and reaching the levels you know you can reach. So get ready to be motivated and inspired and grab your seat at the table for the Breakfast with Champions podcast. And don't forget to check us out at bwcdaily.com. Today, let's get some unmute and some haze, by the way. Hey! 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 Let's do it. So um, today, uh, today I want to break down um, how I built my net worth. Uh, it's something that I've never broken down before, um, and it's a concept that um, I think uh, I think a lot of people need to learn about. And the concept has to do with how do you go from wherever you're at right now to creating um, whatever like that legacy number is for you. And by no means do I, uh, do I think I've reached my legacy number um, in terms of, because uh, that's what the, the name of the room is today. Um, by no means do I think I've reached my legacy kind of net worth number. Um, but my intention here is to really challenge us and, you know, share lessons learned along the way just over the last five years. Um, and I know some of you know that my, my company was uh, offered a $45 million buyout, which I turned down. Um, and, you know, a lot goes into the process of building a company that's worth, you know, multi, multi eight figures. Um, and I can assure you of one thing, it had nothing to do with me having the money and it had nothing to do with me having the time. Um, it had everything for me having the ability to generate new money and the ability to generate new time, right? So what I kind of want to break down here and then you know, have this be an active conversation is how do you go into a marketplace without having the time and without having the money and go and generate whatever net worth it is you want to generate. Anyone interested in that? Let's go. Yes, sir. Be a little interested, Bill. Okay, good, good. Yeah. I'm not sold on it yet. I mean, it doesn't, it doesn't sound like you're really interested. Hey, yes, let's go. yes. Okay. Let's go, hey, let's hey. go, let's go. All right. So uh, I, got a, I got a text um, not a text. I got an Instagram DM from someone yesterday and I get messages like this all the time. Uh, and it's this 20 year old kid. And he asked me, how can I be, uh, how can I become a millionaire is basically what he asked me. Um, and I get this question in a million and one ways, um, from people who follow me. And, you know, the first impulse reaction that I had was 
make sure that you learn sales, right? That was the impulse reaction. And the reason that I had that impulse reaction is because sales is the conveyance of value, right? If everyone just imagines for a second that, um, you know, you had the most valuable thing on planet earth, right? And a lot of people do have a very valuable thing, uh, in terms of their skill set. Like if you really look at every human being on planet earth, most people have a very, uh, unique skill set. The problem isn't the skill set. The problem is nobody knows that you have that skill set, right? And the only way that when you don't have money, you're able to go out into the marketplace and go and tell people in a compelling way that, hey, hey, I have a skill set that's worth X, right? And I'm only going to charge you Y so that you can get access to that skill set, right? The only way you're able to do that when you don't have money is through sales. So I look at learning the skill of sales as the gateway to building whatever net worth it is that you want to build, because if you can't convey the value behind your skills, then nobody in the marketplace is ever going to pull out their wallet and give you a credit card or give you cash in their wallet and say, yes, I'm going to pay you this money in exchange for a skill that I now see the value of, right? What a lot of people think that, uh, you know, success is, they think that success is just putting your head down, being really good at something. And then if you're really good, build it and they will come, right? You've heard that before, build it and they will come. I call BS on that. I don't think if you build it, they will come. I think you got to build it. Then you got to sell it. Then you got to resell it. Then you got to say it a million more times. Then you got to market it. Then you got to market it again. Then you got to rebuild it, right? So people look at, you know, build it and they will come as this one and done concept when it's really not, right? And sales is the way when you built something, either built a skill set or built something special that people should know about. It's the only way when you don't have money to convey that value to people, okay? <clears throat> so what I want to break down is like, for everyone listening right now, I want to pull everyone back to the importance of understanding the skill of sales. Like you could make it as complicated as you possibly want, but at, it, you're never going to be able to escape the fact that learning the skill of sales is going to be your fastest path to phase one entrepreneurship. Phase one entrepreneurship is where you get to that let's say 250K plus earning range on your own, either selling for someone else or selling your own product. The only, and I, I should say not only, the fastest way to get to that earning range is through learning the skill of sales, right? So I know this is how it was for me when, uh, when I originally I was doing, you know, I was making $500 a week. This is, you know, six years ago. Um, I was making 500 bucks a week and I was working with my dad and I was basically in my dad's living room all day and I was building websites, uh, websites and marketing campaigns for my dad's paving company. And 
when I built these, uh, these marketing campaigns for my dad, uh, I built this one campaign that ended up getting my dad a $250,000, um, uh, job that he landed. It was a big remodeling job. He's a contractor. Um, and he landed this huge remodeling job and he was so excited. And after two weeks, of me launching these campaigns, he gets this $250,000 job. And I'm thinking to myself, wow, this marketing thing works. And then Friday came along and boom, like clockwork. Uh, I still got my $500 paycheck. Right. And then the next week goes by and boom, I still get my $500 paycheck. Meanwhile, my dad just landed a $250,000 job for my marketing work. I'm still getting a $500 paycheck. So this is like when I'm starting to compute in my brain, man, this doesn't make sense. Like I, I, I should be getting like a percentage of the results that I generated for my dad's campaign, right? And it was at that moment that I realized that I wanted to be in a results economy not a time and effort economy. I'll say that again. At that moment, I realized I wanted to be in a results economy, not in a time and effort economy, right? Now, not everyone wants to be in a results economy. A results economy is more risky, but there's also a lot more reward, right? So in a results economy, you are literally compensated in direct proportion to the results that you generate in the marketplace, right? And that's entrepreneurship. So when I had that results economy epiphany, that's when I started thinking to myself, well, the fastest way, I didn't have any money, but the fastest way I'm going to get into a results economy is going into sales. Because then you eat what you kill, everything is commission-based, everything's percentage-based, right? So at that point, once I had that epiphany, it was really easy to quit doing what I was doing with my dad and to go find a sales job, right? But then after I started learning the skill of sales, I, I remember my first week on the sales job, it was, it was like uh, the most rapid learning process I've ever gone through in my life. I mean, I remember the day I joined the sales job, I ended up buying a sales training course for $5,000. I had no money in my bank account, nothing. Like my, what I was making working with my dad was just covering expenses. I had a discover card though. And that's all I had. I had a discover card with like a very low limit on it. Um, and I ended up getting that card charged $5,000 for a sales training course. This is like my first day on the job, right? The only reason I spent $5,000 on that sales training course is because I knew deep down I didn't have the answers to learn sales. I feel like there's two ways you can learn information and master a skill. The hard way and the easy way. The hard way is I'm going to learn this skill completely through trial and error. The easy way is I'm going to learn this skill completely through other people's trial and error, right? And I chose option B. I chose the easy way, which was I'm going to spend this $5,000 and I'm going to learn from someone who has done sales for 20 plus years. I'm going to learn objection handlers. I'm going to learn how to uh, ask for the sale at the end of a call. I'm going to learn how to control a sales script, right? 
because they gave us sales training at yellowpages.com, but it wasn't good sales training. I mean, it was mediocre. So I knew I needed more. And that sales training course ended up being my secret weapon um, that caused me to become the number one sales rep in the company out of 3,000 reps. So, um, What course did you buy, Bill? Cardone University. Boom. Yep. And here's the funny thing is I had, I had someone ask me before, like, did I follow the course word for word? No, no. It just made me feel like I had a plan. I, I, I can't remember one time I followed the scripts from that course word for word. Like it just, it gave me this feeling of security. Like I had a plan behind what I was doing and I was able to get creative around that plan, you know? So, um, fast forward to the end of my relationship with yellowpages.com. Uh, I start feeling this anxiety around me not being able to control the quality of the products that I was selling, which uh, I'll get to that in a minute, but I want to talk about phase two and it's the multiplication. So phase one of building your own net worth is you have to trade money for skills. Like, that's the most important thing. And preferably you want to trade money for skills around sales, right? So that just like I explained, you can convey value around whatever it is you're representing. Phase two is I think you trade money for time, right? So I'll give you an example on this. So when I was working at yellowpages.com within the second week, second week, of working at yellowpages.com. First week, I bought the sales training course. Second week, I immediately, I did two days, two days of making 80 to 100 cold calls a day. Two days in a row, I did this. I booked all these appointments, right? But I started auditing my time and I started thinking to myself, man, this is a terrible use of time. Like, I am spending so most of the time I'm spending with the phone ringing and people not answering my calls and me dealing with gatekeepers, right? So after two days of cold calling on my second week in the job, I picked up this book called The Four Hour Work Week. And in the book, The Four Hour Work Week, it talks about getting virtual assistants, right? To do low value tasks for your business or for you personally. This is before my paycheck even came. My first paycheck even came. Again, I didn't have the money. All I had was a credit card that was putting me in debt, actually, right? It wasn't coming out of my bank account. It was putting me in debt. I owed this money back. So um, I pull out my credit card. I sign up for this thing called uh, elance.com at the time, which is now called Upwork. And I hire my first virtual assistant cold caller right? So this is the second week. And this is my first legit job ever, like other than working at an insurance company, like which I was completely mentally detached from. It's the first job I ever actually invested my brain energy into. So I go on upwork.com or not, you know, it was Elance at the time. And I start looking for virtual assistants and I hire someone to do cold calls for me. So I put up a job description uh, cold caller needed for salesperson uh, at yellowpages.com. That it was a very simple job ad. So I get someone to apply to this, and 
I'm thinking to myself, uh, man, I really hope I don't get caught doing this by my sales manager. Um, that's what I'm thinking the whole time in the back of my head. And this other guy I work with, Tom, was also really entrepreneurial. And now he runs a very successful company too. And as soon, like after the week of me hiring these, uh, this virtual assistant to do cold calling for me, Tom immediately hops on the bandwagon. And the next week he hires a virtual assistant to do cold calls. And all we told these people to do was all we told these people to do was to call people that were on Yelp under specific categories. So we basically would give them like, okay, plumbers. So we'd type in, we'd have the virtual assistants type in the word plumbers, Philadelphia. And then they would go down the list on Yelp.com and they would call from the top to the bottom, every single plumber that showed up on Yelp, right? And their script was basically to leave a voicemail for the owner of the business saying exactly this. The script was, um, hey, uh, reason for the call is uh, I work for Bill Hauser and Bill is look, looking to see if you're able to accept new work from the internet right now. That was it. If you are, call this number back. So it was completely vague and open-ended. So we would get callbacks to my direct cell phone from decision makers going, hey, I got a voicemail about us accepting new work. And yeah, I, I definitely can. I, who are you? So it was like this confusion-based callback, right? And I used that exact process to basically, I multiplied my time. Remember phase one, I multiplied, I exchanged money for skills. Then I exchanged money for time, right? And I exchanged money for time because now I didn't have to do cold calls. I was getting inbound calls from my cold caller leaving these voicemails, right? So it multiplied my time 20x, right? So within the first month, two months, three months, four months, I was smoking everyone in the office because I was multiplying my time, right? And I wasn't wasting all this dead time on cold calls. And, and especially I never, I refused to waste any time going door to door because it was the most inefficient use of time. Uh, if you really look at it on a scale of efficiency, that was the least efficient, right? So just with those two decisions, those two simple decisions to pull out my credit card and buy a training course for $5,000 to learn the skill of sales rapidly. And then secondly, pulling out my credit card again to hire a virtual assistant to do cold calling for me. Those two decisions, okay, were two decisions that of the thousands of other reps that work at yellowpages.com somehow, some way, 99.9% .9 of the reps that worked at this company didn't see those as opportunities for them. Most of the reps in the company rolled up their sleeves, accepted, well, you know what sales is like. You know what sales is like. You know, oh, you got to pick up the phone. You know, got to do it yourself. This is the game that we're in. And some people stayed in that job for 5, 10, 15 years, right? working with yellow pages and never questioning the core assumptions of 
Are my skills holding me back? Or is there anything that I can do to multiply my time here? Right? That's it. Now, I have used those two concepts. Fast forward now five years to where I'm at now. I have used those two exact concepts. Okay? In every single phase of growth in my business. Pulling out my credit card to buy information or skills. Pulling out my credit card to buy time. Right? Because if you have the skills and you're able to multiply time, you're going to make money. Okay? So at the end of my Yellow Pages journey, I I explained the concept of I got really fed up. Right? With... I got fed up with the fact that I couldn't control. Yes, I could control my income, meaning I got a percent of what I sold. So I had checked, I had solved that problem that I had at my dad's company where I was making 500 bucks a week, but there was no tie to the outcome, right? Fast forward to my, my last weeks at yellowpages.com where I started falling out of love with working there and I remember I had this one client that I sold. He was a roofer, uh, a roofing company in South New Jersey, Southern New Jersey. And the marketing team at yellowpages.com just screwed up all of his campaigns. Like he gave very clear directions that he wanted his logo to look like this. And he wanted his unique selling proposition to be like this in his ads. And, um, and very clear direction and the marketing team at this company completely screwed it up, right? And now it's reflecting poorly on me that the marketing team that I sold this product that that was delivering the product that I sold at yellowpages.com screwed it up. And it was at that moment I had the insight that I want to be in a complete results economy, not just in commissions of what I sell, but I, I want to be in a results economy of the quality of the product that I deliver, right? Like, and it's not about not screwing up. It's about, I, I want to be in an environment where if I, if a screw up is happening, I can go to bed at night knowing that I did something to contribute to this. It's just a more freeing feeling that I was craving because I felt like in a victim mindset. Like I felt like I had no control over whether the team that worked with me screwed it up, right? And that was the insight where I was like, you know, I am going to quit. And I, I made two hundred over $260,000 as a 20, you know, at the time as a 25-year-old or so in my first legit job. And, you know, my mom is so proud of me. She was so anxious when I joined the job because I, I had a secure job making 60, 65 K a year doing insurance, right? I was, uh, I was an underwriter at Chubb, which is a fortune 100 company, which basically means, by the way, it sounds cool. Basically means I would walk into a big corporate office, not talk to anyone, sit behind a computer and cut and paste numbers in Excel spreadsheets all day. But I worked at a fortune 100 company, but my mom was proud of me. Right. And my mom was so scared when I quit that job to go do sales. And then, you know, uh, I proved to her that I was able to turn, you know, that decision into, you know, a quarter million dollars. And, but 
I knew I had to quit. As soon as I won first place in the company in terms of number one sales rep, I knew I had to quit. And I knew I had to quit because I wanted to be in that full results economy, not just on a commission side, but on the delivery side as well. So I make the decision to quit. And I basically call my sales manager and I'm like, dude, I'm done. There's nothing you can do to save me. And I get the district sales manager calling me, vice president level roles calling me because I was the top rep. They're all trying to save me. Oh my God, things are going to turn around. I was like, dude, it's done. There's nothing you can say to get me to change my mind, right? And so I quit the job and then I literally spent eight months business planning. I had gotten a big bonus check from when I left the job and I literally, literally spent eight months creating a business plan and looking back that those eight months was me filled with anxiety, even though I didn't admit it, I, I labeled it as business planning, right? But deep, deep down, I was just anxious to go and make my first sale on my own. I thought all this planning had to happen. I thought I needed to appear super legitimate as a company because I was coming from a big company. I thought I had to have all these freelancers set up on the back end to do the marketing work for everyone I sold. I thought I needed to have an amazing website. I thought I needed to have all these product names and stuff. Like it was just lunacy. Like it just had made no sense at all. But in the moment I was so scared and I had money that from my bonus check that I took fear plus the money that I had and I became extremely soft, right? And here's what happened, okay? I ended up using every penny of the bonus money that I had on my expenses, per living expenses, and I used every penny of the bonus check that I had on needless investments that I made in the business that I did not need to make. You know, websites, research softwares, all this crap that I did not need to buy. So lo and behold, I reached the most magical point in my entrepreneurial career. I reached the point where I have complete conviction that I'm gonna, I will do this on my own. I was completely committed to do, to go out on my own. And here's the magical point. I ran out of money and it was the best thing that ever happened to me because I literally, literally had, had to, had to sell to survive literally. Right? So if I didn't sell that month, eight months after I quit my job, if I didn't sell on my own that month, I literally would have had to go move back in with my mom, going from making a quarter million dollars a year as a salesperson, I literally would have had to go move in with my mom again, right? Which is where I lived before I ended, I worked with my dad year, uh, a couple of years before that. And I looked myself in the mirror this one morning. I remember the morning I woke up and I actually said this to myself in the mirror. I said, today is the day to sell something. And I started 
this frenzy of I am going to call every single person that I know, every lead that I did not close when I was working them at yellowpages.com. I am going to like, I will do whatever it takes to sign up clients by the end of this week, right? It was a Monday. And I started thinking to myself like, all right, as soon as that light switch went off, I was completely sold on it was time to sell. So I started reaching out to these people and it's really fascinating when you're that committed, like every single sales call that I had was a one call close. Like it's really interesting when I look back, I was so committed, so much conviction. You like, I was operating from a place like you have to work with me. You are going to be one of the first clients that I have in something really special. You're going to get undivided attention, right? And that was my selling point in the initial phases. And literally by the end of that week, I had like eight people ready to sign up. Like it was insane. And that would be an $8,000 per month. I was charging around $1,000 a month at that time. That's about an $8,000 per month income in one week, right? And so, you know, it's funny that overnight success concept, right? It's like, oh, well, you, I went from making zero to $8,000 uh, per month in less than one week. Well, that's not really the, the case. The case is I had spent, you know, two years in that sales job mastering the skill of sales. I had a pipeline that was already built up of people that I had cold called in the past that had said no, but I knew would work with me directly, right? So there's all these accumulated actions that build up to this moment where I go from zero to $8,000 per month in under a week in, in agency clients, right? Um, but at this point, you know, I'm doing all the work, right? So Here's the problem. I would go sign up these clients and do all the sales activity during the day. And then at night, I had to build their websites. I had to build their marketing campaigns, their Google ads campaigns. I had to basically be their account manager and the salesperson for the business, right? And I remember the day I hired my first employee and I should have done it earlier. Right. Because remember the two lessons that I shared. Number one, trade money for skills. Number two, trade money for time. Well, I was so excited that I had eight thousand dollars a month in, in income for my new business that I was uh, I was hesitant to part ways with a piece of that money. Right. Because it was so precious to me. Right. I was like, oh, my God, this eight thousand dollars a month is like life changing. I can't believe I have this $8,000 a month income. So I was so hesitant to give up a portion of that to hire someone. So I told myself, I'm pacing around in the kitchen and I tell my wife, Emily, I'm like, I think I need to say bye-bye to half of the income that I just created. Meaning I need to go pay someone $4,000 a month to work with me full time so that I can scale my time again, right? And this person's going to do all the marketing work for the client so that I can focus more of my time on sales activity, right? 
And, you know, Emily has always been the my number one supporter in every decision I've ever made. She's never doubted one decision I've made in my entire life. Um, so she immediately is like, yes. So I'm like, damn it. I thought, I thought you're going to like make this into a debate. And like, uh, so now, now I'm basically staring myself in the mirror again. Like, do I want to part ways with $4,000 a month? Do I want to part ways with $4,000 a month? And then boom, I had an epiphany. I went, well, wait, I'm not parting ways with $4,000 a month. That's stupid. I'm not parting ways with that. I'm spending $4,000 a month so that I can go have the freedom and time to go get an additional $8,000 per month because I'll have time to do more sales activity, right? So as soon as that light bulb went off, then I figured it out. I went on indeed.com. I put up my first legit full-time job listing. I set the geographic area to Philadelphia. And lo and behold, within uh, two weeks, I start getting applications in. And they're good applications. And I start inviting them to my apartment complex where I started SMB. And I start inviting some of these interviews to the apartment complex. And um, there was this co-working space at the apartment complex. And I would tell people, uh, <laughs> I would tell people during the interview process on the phone, I would say, yeah, it'd be really awesome for you to come by. You know, we have, um, we have the biggest pool in Philadelphia, which my apartment complex did. I just didn't specify that I was working out of an apartment complex, right? <laughs> so I was like, yeah, we have the biggest pool in, in the Philadelphia area. Um, we have an awesome basement working area. We have a whole food market right next to it. So, you know, these people's eyes are lighting up, right? And then every time, like clockwork, when they would show up, they would go, they would they would call my cell phone and they would say, hey, I just pulled up to an apartment complex. Am I at the right place? I was like, yeah, 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 this is where we work. And then I would pull them into this big co-working area and I would do my interview there, Right. So in the back of their mind, everyone I interviewed at this point in time was thinking to themselves, what the hell did I just get myself into? <laughs> right. But I had so much conviction with where we were going and what we wanted to build that one person decided to quit their job and join SMB as my first employee. And it was $4,000 a month I paid this person. And like clockwork, you know, I'm basically, uh, you know, not like clockwork, actually, I take that back. Um, really painfully, now, I'm having this person shadow everything that I do around building marketing campaigns for the clients, right? So I'm, sh I'm having them shadow me, I created these very bare bones processes on how to build marketing campaigns for clients. And uh, I'm basically having this new employee shadow me on everything I'm doing. So this person's shadowing me and I'm thinking to myself, uh, I really hope this person doesn't quit because I was such a bad leader and such a bad manager. Like I was a micromanager. I, I wouldn't clearly communicate what, what I wanted to be done by when. I just had, I was such an amateur leader that I was so worried this person was going to just quit the next day. But lo and behold, uh, a month or so goes by 
And now this person is completely trained on how to do the marketing work, right? And so that frees me up to go and do more sales activity. And exactly what I said is exactly what happened. I closed another $8,000 a month in clients. So I went from eight clients to 16 clients paying me a thousand a month, right? So now I'm making $16,000 a month, right? And that $16,000 a month, I now went through the same epiphany process where I go, okay, well, can I hire someone again for $4,000 a month to help me with more of the marketing work so I can still focus on more of the uh, sales activity? Because I, I was now diving into the marketing work again. So uh, I did it and I hired my second employee. And, um, and that same process kept occurring where I would build up sales demand the increased sales demand would cause us to get busy and then to navigate against the busyness, I would hire someone else to take work off of our plate. Right. And so what, through this whole journey, right. Um, I then have this epiphany where I'm like, wait a second, is there a way I can delegate the sales activity too? And I thought it was impossible. Right. I had these two goals. I had two goals when I scaled my business at the early stages. The first goal was that a client is signed up for my marketing services without any of my involvement. I thought that was a pipe dream. Right. The second goal was that a client's marketing campaigns were built from start to finish with zero percent of my involvement. Right. So I had these two goals that a client was signed up with none of my involvement and a client was completely delivered on with none of my involvement. I accomplished the, the second goal. The second goal being the client's marketing was delivered by someone else without my involvement. I accomplished that goal. What I didn't accomplish was a client is signed up without my involvement. I thought that was, again, impossible. How could anyone sell my business better than me? Well because I put that out in the universe, okay? I go into my shared working space. Turns out that my best, one of my best friends from high school, his name's James Helm. He's the owner of Top Dog Law, now one of the big law firms in Philadelphia. And James Helm and I were talking, he had this summer to basically do nothing between him graduating law school and starting his own law firm. And it was more than a summer. It was like six months. And I go, dude, why don't you do sales for my company? You can make a ton of commission. And that commission is going to help you have some financial padding when you start your own law firm. Well, I didn't think he would say yes, but he did. He's like, okay, I'll do sales for you. Right? So then the same process happened. He started shadowing me on how I was doing sales calls, how I was building value around um, our marketing services. and Lo and behold, after a few months of him shadowing me, he closed his first client with none of my involvement. He signed up his first client with none of my involvement. And at this point, I am like shocked. I'm shocked because I delegated myself out of a job. Like now I'm not needed to sign up clients and now I'm also not needed to build clients' marketing campaigns. So... Within like six months of me starting my company, I used that these same two processes, buying time, buying skills, 
And I literally delegated myself out of a job. I hired myself out of a job on the two core functions that I was most skilled at, right? And it was the best thing that ever happened to me because at that point, I started realizing what, what it really takes to be a CEO, right? What it takes to be a CEO is not how hard you work. It's not, you know, how good your personal sales skills or delivery skills are. No, being a CEO means that you create a vision for where we're going and then you back that vision with commitments, right? That's it. That's what CEOs do. And I literally would spend the next, you know, six months of that first year in business feeling guilty about my role as a CEO. I just felt weird about it. I felt like, why, who am I to be, you know, the person making decisions and setting vision and setting commitments that align with the vision. I just had all this guilt wrapped up in it. Right. And then I started thinking to myself, I started asking my, you know, at this point, by the end of that year, I probably have like, I don't know, four or five employees. And I started asking them, like, how happy are you, like, working here? And all of them were like, dude, we're really happy. Like, we love this. You know, thanks so much for creating this opportunity for us. I'm like, what? I, I just couldn't process, like, what? I, they, they were grateful for me not doing work and for me setting the vision for the business. It was just so counterintuitive. I thought they would only be grateful if I worked really hard and sweat and like grinded next to them 24 seven. But no, they weren't grateful for me working hard. They were grateful for me getting out of their way. They were grateful for me letting them shine because I realized that only 1% of people actually have the ability to start their own business and make those commitments and have that vision, right? So I started having this epiphany that vision is a service. Like for me to be the visionary of my company and not doing the work, that's I'm, I'm providing a service to the members of my team by getting out of their way with the day-to-day -day work and just being the visionary, right? So the whole first year was built with me trying to find ways to have someone else do the sales and me mastering the sales as I, as I hired people to do uh, the delivery of what we sold and separately hiring people to do the delivery of what we sold. Those are the two keys of year one in business, right? Now, year two in business, okay, this is the ultimate uh, multiplier. So now I have a full-time salesperson working under me and I have, you know, four people or so doing the marketing work for clients, Okay. And obviously I'm still involved in the sales process. And I start thinking to myself, just like I did when I was at yellowpages.com, I started thinking to myself, well, it's kind of, it, just like it was inefficient for me to make cold calls to sign up people for our marketing services. And I hired virtual assistants, right? To, to compensate for that. I felt the same exact way about sales activity. Because I started reading books on like webinars and, you know, I read Russell Brunson's Expert Secrets book and I started thinking to myself, well, I guess one-on-one -on -one sales is pretty, 
you know, there's a cap to it, right? It's very ineffective in and of itself. And I start learning myself, like I need to master marketing. Like I need to learn how to uh, get in front of hundreds of business owners all at once to promote my marketing services, right? And my first try at this was a YouTube video. So I started saying, okay, well, I'm gonna put out YouTube videos on the keywords that my target clients would be interested in, right? So I made my first YouTube video. Um, I did what everyone does when they start on YouTube. I over-prepared like crazy, right? Um, I had teleprompters and all these bullet points I wanted to hit on and I just went way too over the top with it. And I think like, I don't know, 500 people watched the video within a month. And I was like, think about that. I made one video and 500 people listened to me, right? Rat and I've been spending all this time for the last three years in my sales job and my first year in business talking to people one-on-one, -on -one, right? And I started thinking, wow, well, what if I made 100 YouTube videos, right? And then, you know, 500 people watch each of those 100 videos, right? And I'm like, wow, think about all the people I'd be able to get in front of without having to do one-on-one -on -one calls. Now, keep in mind, I wouldn't have had the time to do the 100 YouTube videos that I did in that second year if I didn't have someone doing sales and delivery for me, right? So again, I bought time, so I had the time to learn marketing, right? So I start making these YouTube videos and the results are, man, I, I got a couple clients from it, um, but it was slow. And so then I started thinking to myself, all right, how do I multiply this a whole different level, right? And, um, you know, the next step is I create my first ebook, right? And that first ebook was law firm PPC for dummies, which basically taught lawyers how to run their own Google ads campaigns. And we start promoting this book on Facebook ads. Um, and we had like 260 lawyers downloaded or something like that. Um, and what did I do? Well, I applied my whole sales mentality towards that book. And I cold called every single one of those book downloads. And everyone was like completely confused. Like, no, dude, I don't want a consultation with your business. I was just downloading a book, right? So that's when I then discovered, okay, well, I need to create an email list and an email nurturing sequence so that every week or a couple of times a week, they're getting emails from me so I can stay top of mind without bugging them, right? And that's where we discovered, you know, okay, we're capturing these emails from the eBooks and from our YouTube channel, which we were pushing people to the eBook from the YouTube videos. And then we just started, okay, we're going to start the email list, right? And we're going to start sending one or two emails a week to everyone who downloads these books, right? They stay top of mind. That was it. Like, that was the extent of our year two marketing strategy, right? And the results were decent, right? It started multiplying our time. It started warming up our sales process. We started using these YouTube videos in the follow-up emails that we would send to people who book consultations with us. And it would build trust, you know, when they could see our educational material online, even though it wasn't getting a lot of views, it would support our sales process, right? And it was, um, it was very scalable to do that. And I had always wanted to do webinars and this was the thing that completely changed my life. So through that second year in business, 
you know, we had incremental growth. Um, we ended up doing um, probably an extra couple hundred thousand dollars through the YouTube strategy. Um, but the biggest discovery I had in year two was I launched my first Google advertising campaign for myself, right? So I put up an ad on Google. Every time a lawyer typed in the word lawyer marketing, uh, law firm, pay-per-click company, law firm SEO company, uh, we bought ads on page one of Google that would basically, a lawyer would click them when they were typing in law firm SEO company. They click the ad, it would go to a landing page, and then they would call us, right? So in our first year in business, we did around 450,000 in revenue. In our second year in business, we did 1.5 million in revenue, right? And the majority of that 1.5 million came from the Google ads campaign that I launched, right? The Google ads campaign, uh, I started my first month. Now, again, buying time, buying time. Okay. So instead of hiring a full-time employee, okay, I decided to take some of our excess cash flow and I was going to take $6,000 of it per month and I was going to spend it on Google instead of hiring an employee, right? I was going to spend that on our Google advertising campaign. And that's exactly what I did. I spent $6,000 a month in my first month on Google within the first day of me launching these campaigns, I had a law firm owner call me and sign up with me on the spot for $18,000, right? And I was like, oh my God, that was the easiest close I've ever had in my life because they actually were desiring my products and services. They typed in law firm SEO company. So they needed me. So when they called, they were hot. It wasn't like an outbound phone call. So I go to myself, Oh my gosh, this is going, if this keeps working this way, this is going to be magic, right? So I start handling all the calls. I still have a full-time salesperson who's doing outbound, right? So now I'm handling the inbound leads, the other salesperson's doing outbound still. And then we have the four or five people who are doing the uh, delivery on the marketing campaigns. Well, I end up signing like eight clients in a month from this Google ads campaign. I'm like, my jaw is on the ground with joy. Right. And then we're like, all right, well, let's scale this up. Right. So we start scaling up the campaign to $26,000 per month. Cause again, it was easy for me to do that because I kept thinking like, think about the time this is buying us. Like think about how, how much back and forth it takes to do outbound sales. And I have people calling me, begging to sign up with me from this Google ads campaign. And we went from $6,000 a month to $26,000 a month spent on that Google campaign in one year, right? And at the end of that year, um, that's basically the year. Uh, so 20, uh, 2018, my first full year, 2019, and then 2020 was the year of COVID. So we're running these Google ads campaigns and uh, COVID hits. And I'd already read like Expert Secrets, which was Russell Brunson's book, which has the perfect webinar format in it. Um, and I knew I wanted to do webinars deep down, right? But 
I never really took action on it because I was scared. And what if nobody shows up? And what if I flop? And the live component really scared me. I felt like I had a protection when I was doing the YouTube videos. And then COVID hits. And like 20 or 30% of our clients request to pause their marketing campaigns because courthouses were closed down. So I'm like, okay, well, I don't have a choice anymore, right? I have to get in front of lawyers right now if I'm going to stay in business and not have to lay people off because all of our clients were pausing their marketing campaigns. So I suck it up and within two days of COVID hitting, I'm launching my first webinar ever, right? And that's where the whole next mindset shift came of uh, time, right? Where I said, okay, I can basically talk to 200 attorneys all at once and have it be live. Because what I was noticing was, yeah, I had a lot of people watching my YouTube videos, but the problem is like, the engagement with a YouTube channel is much lower than the engagement of a live webinar. Why? Because people have complete, like they have space when they consume pre-recorded content. Like when people consume pre-recorded content, they don't feel as connected with you as like, for example, on Clubhouse right now, you know, I am live right now. And that creates another level of connection than pre-recorded content like in a podcast or a YouTube channel. And I didn't understand the power of this, right? So I got a couple of hundred attorneys on my first webinar and I'm like, all of these people are like raving at the end of the webinar in a way I've never had people rave from my YouTube channel. I'm like, man, there's something here. And then PPP drops, right? Uh, the PPP news drops and uh, the paycheck paycheck protection plan, um, stimulus. And I'm like, I'm going to make content on this. And that's the webinar where I had 3,777 lawyers register for, because it was such a breaking news topic. Right. So I had thousands of lawyers on this webinar. Um, and then fast forward weeks later, I'm not making any money from these webinars. And then that's when I decided to learn how to pitch via a webinar. Right. And Lo and behold, that's when I had my, my webinar that did $500,000 in sales, right? Um, was weeks after doing all this warm up nurturing, all this free value through webinars. Then I go, okay, I'm going to sell something to all these people I've been earning trust with, and I'm going to sell it via webinar format, right? So I sold this course called the Grand Lawyer Marketing Plan, um, and we got 500 attorneys in it at an average of 1000 bucks, and that's it. Like that's, that's where the light switch moment happened, right? Is now think about it. I call it pioneer audit systemize, right? So I pioneered something new when I delegated sales, right? I had a full-time salesperson doing sales for me. I audited what worked and then I systemized him doing sales without me. I pioneer audit systemized the YouTube channel stuff that I did, right? And then I pioneer audit systemized webinar uh, sales. So if you really add all this up, I had three sales and marketing vehicles running simultaneously. I had my sale, direct sales outreach. I had um, my YouTube channel and the ebook strategy. 
and then I had webinars. So I had these three concurrent marketing strategies running all at once. What do you think happens when you have three marketing strategies running at the same time? Well, it raises the total number of clients that you get because it creates this omnipresence effect, right? Where maybe someone who had been through your sales process ends up attending a webinar because they're on your email list and ends up downloading the ebook. So it creates this multiplier, this force multiplier, where by running these three things simultaneously, you bring in more clients collectively than you would by doing any one of those three on its own, right? So long story short, what did we learn through this, the whole journey here, right? Is through every single step of the process, I traded money for skills and I traded money for time, right? I traded money for skills uh, when I bought that sales training course and I had no money to my name. I traded money for time when I hired the first virtual assistant to do cold calling for me. I traded my money for time when I hired my first sales rep. I traded my money for time when I bought a course on how to make the YouTube videos that I originally made, right? And I also traded money for skills there, right? but I also wanted to scale my message one to many, right? I traded money for time when I bought my first course on how to hold webinars, right? And I traded money for time in that scenario as well um, because I was able to get in front of 200 clients at once in a live nature when I did my first webinar rather than doing one-on-one sales calls. All of this led to me signing up more clients, which forced me to have to hire more people to do the work for those clients, right? So that's it. Um, I wanted to share just this whole concept on the way that you're going to build the net worth that you want to build is by not focusing on net worth at all. Okay. The way you're going to build the net worth that you want to build is by focusing on trading money for skills and trading money for time. Because if you don't multiply your time and you don't multiply your skills, the marketplace is not going to reward you with disproportionate returns uh, like like what you deserve and what your legacy deserves. So uh, that's the end of my segment, everyone. I hope you got value from this. Uh, make sure you're following me on Instagram. I, I'm doing a lot of lives now. So Hey, Bill Hauser. Yo! This is Ramon Ray. Before you go, I just couldn't let you go without saying man your segment always inspires me i love hearing the story of the yeah. journey i learned from this ramon i know you got to run segments over but brother just want to say i appreciate it please let you know bye-bye appreciate that my friend thank you thank you um so yeah make sure you follow me on instagram everyone and then also smb team youtube channel it's all general entrepreneurship content uh we're putting out some really good stuff right now um, if you are not subscribed to my YouTube channel, which is SMB Team on YouTube, you are costing yourself millions of dollars. I'll just leave it at that. I'll see everyone next week at 6.30 on Wednesday. Stay great and make sure you flex in the mirror and give yourself a kiss. All right, stay great.